0: transmissions where we talk about all things strange dark and unusual and today we're talking about uh the book that turned us all goth uh and may turn you goth one day too <laughs> uh and rice's interview with the vampire and i've got two very special guests with me today uh so uh first of all we have jess and from are you there pod and her co-host josh uh for also from are you there pod so guys uh do you want to introduce yourselves and uh t- tell us a bit about are you there pod for those of us who may not be familiar with it already oh you're pointing at me
1: <laughs> well f- f- first off i want to say if there is something that was going to turn me goth it would have been liking a goth girl when i was like a
0: junior in high school i feel like that could have uh turned me goth but, but that sort of goes hand in hand with being given a copy or buying for someone else a copy of Interview with the Vampire, <laughs> <laughs> I would
1: have pretended to really be into. I would have read the entire uh, Vampire Chronicles if uh, <laughs> if if a girl with enough like uh, eyeliner and uh, black fingernails had uh, <laughs> had been around um so let's see what what was the question who am i uh jessica and i do a young adult podcast where we talk about i don't think we've ever talked about vampires have we actually
2: i don't think we've gotten to a vampire book but i will put that up here file it away and we'll be reading some caroline v cooney very soon so you're welcome
1: no that that wasn't a suggestion (laughs) (laughs)
0: there there was that um, there was that kids book series that was out in that big uh, you know series boom uh, around the time of the babysitters club and so on that was called things like um, genies don't ride bicycles Mm -hmm. and uh, there was one called vampires don't wear polka dots I think or something (laughs) like that yeah one one for one for the Patreon I think yeah so (laughs) yeah yeah, and so uh, what what else do you do with yourself aside from hosting uh hosting the show, Josh?
1: No, oh, uh I own a bookstore in Springfield, Missouri. Uh that's about it. I don't really do anything else. <laughs> I, do, I go from from work to home and I read uh R. L.
0: Stein novels basically. <laughs> that's
2: pretty much my Let's life. See,
0: for uh, yeah. for I think yeah, I feel like for 10-year-old me, that would have kind of been living the dream, but, <laughs> but I know that the uh, the execution of that is, yeah. is, as an adult sometimes plays out a bit differently. <laughs> uh-
2: I mean, for me, make it a record store, and then just going home and reading R.L. Stein novels, and it would have been like perfect. And listening to R.L. Yeah. Stein
1: audiobooks at home <laughs> from-, <laughs> from the record store. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, occasionally maybe at lunchtime when you when you need a bit of levity, just flicking through one of um one of his pre goosebumps joke books or something like that. <laughs> back when he was jovial Bob Stein or something <laughs> like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, some of our listeners might remember you from our uh, last episode, Jess, uh, Fire in the Sky. Mm-hmm. But uh, just in case they don't, uh, maybe fill us in about yourself as well too.
2: Yeah, um, my name is Jessica, and along with Josh, I uh, do a a host Are You There Pod, and um, in my free time, I uh, am a technical writer, and basically, I'm just trying to survive a pandemic right now and a very long, strange winter, so yeah, but I have a cute cat, Um, I don't know what else is there that's important about me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> d- what else is interesting? I like the crow. That probably would have turned me off. Yeah.
0: Uh, th- there'll be will be a crow episode at some point. Don't worry, <laughs> it's inevitable. I think. So. Um, yeah. Well, uh, like I said at the top here, uh, we we're talking about Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. So uh, I guess, um, uh, so so, what sort of backstory did you guys have with this book, uh, if if any? Like, uh, had you seen the? Like, I think for. 'Cause it came out in nineteen seventy six. So I think a lot of people our age have read it, but I think for a lot of people also the movie is, is maybe their jumping on point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh definitely the movie for me. I don't think I saw it in its theatrical release because I mean it was kinda rare that we saw movies in theaters. Um but I do remember watching it on VHS, um, probably, you know, like a year or so after it's after it's run in theaters. And I also remember trying to read the book, and I would have been 94. Um, I would have been like in sixth or seventh grade, and I was trying to read Interview the Vampire, and I could not get into it as a preteen, just not my thing. Um, And I think I even tried to read a follow-up. Well, I don't think it's considered part of the Vampire Chronicles, but maybe it's related, um, I think it's her mummy book. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Uh, um, t- it, it's just called the mummy, right? Or mummy. R- Ram- Ramsey's the Damned Ramsey's or something the like da- that. Yeah, the Damned, yeah. Yeah. yes. I, t- I think yeah. it's part of the larger series, but I couldn't tell you where it fits in for for reasons that we'll get to later. I, I never made it past yeah. number three, but, um. The <laughs>
2: yeah. A lot of my reading came from like my mom or my aunt's bookshelf. So there was a lot of like mass market Dean R. and... Uh, Stephen King, and whatever I could find. So those were in there.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to say, I'd definitely make a case that she falls kind of under, under that too, but um, um, how, how about for you, Josh? Were you a big fan of this as a kid? I imagine it's the sort of thing your parents would have really enjoyed <laughs> and encouraged you to watch and read. Yeah, yeah they would have loved it. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I had no familiarity with, uh, with it. I think when I was rewatching the movie the other day, I well, I, when I was watching it, I feel like maybe I saw it or saw parts of it at some point. But this would have been like when I was twenty; it wouldn't have been anywhere around the time of the release. But uh, I don't know. From when I was like nineteen to twenty-one, I tried to watch <laughs> every movie at the video store, basically that I that I had missed because I wasn't allowed to watch anything. So there is a chance I I watched it somewhere in there, but uh yeah, it didn't it didn't it wasn't memorable enough to me. <laughs>
0: I guess. Yeah, it was very um but it was genuinely hard to avoid for a while there in the in the nineties. Like I, I remember even I was only about uh when the movie came out I was probably only about eight or nine um, so I was quite young, but I remember seeing ads on TV. I remember the standees in the cinema. Um, I remember having a having a copy of Disney Adventures magazine, probably um, from a <laughs> Wait, year what? or so later, and. Uh, Well, well, Kirsten Dunst got interviewed in it for Jumanji, I think it was. And um, so (laughs) because she was still a fairly new actor at the time, they they sort of talked about, you know, what she'd done up to that point. And, of course, that included an interview with the vampire. And, you know, the article had a photo of her with Brad Pitt, I think, though though fortunately not a picture of them kissing or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So yeah but I I guess so that was kind of my first encounter as a kid and then you know I I think like all of us have been involved in kind of alternative scenes to one degree or another I mean for myself it was kind of metal and goth adjacent stuff Uh, I know for Jess there are elements of that too and Josh was a well he's a punk guy and it's just one of those things that I think people hand a copy of to you at at some point you know if you move in the right circles (laughs) um Certainly, I remember wanting to watch it and read it when I was quite young because I was just like, "Oh, vampires!" and thinking of it in terms of like uh, Universal Monsters level Dracula, <laughs> uh, and and my parents were definitely not keen for me to to see that, which I can maybe understand a little more at the, the age I am now. Uh, but uh, yeah, so my my first exposure came a bit later when a, and a bit more indirectly. Like I, I used to play this role playing game called Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, and there was a recommended reading and viewing section in there, and naturally enough, like because it stole quite a bit from Interview with the Vampire, (laughs) um, that featured prominently on both reading and watching. Uh, And I think, too, um, the other thing I remember was in in the late 90s, the WWF had this... um, wrestling stable called The Brood uh, and it was the lead guy was called Gangrel and he wasn't officially Lestat but he was Lestat (laughs) he'd come out to the ring with a big goblet full of um, red viscous liquid that was never explicitly called blood but definitely was and he'd sort of take a swig and then spit it everywhere like it was uh even as someone who was a big fan of the undertaker it was all a bit too silly for me but (laughs) (laughs) Um, did he
2: have the pretty hair the pretty blonde locks that's important
0: oh very much so yeah he did he did yeah he was he was quite a he he's um he he's he's still round now. He's uh, like in his fifties, so he, he's looking a little worse for wear now. But he was he was kind of a handsome guy when he was young. So, <laughs> um. But yeah, so uh, I I guess then we might talk a little bit about Anne Rice. Like, do you guys know much about her? I mean, Josh, you run a bookstore, so I assume you've run across her at some point or another.
1: Yeah, the main thing I really know about her is that she went from writing. Well, I don't know if the erotica novels came first, but she she wrote a series of like erotica. No, they,
0: they were they were after the, after this one. They yeah, were yeah. okay.
1: Um, so I know she wrote these like kind of spooky books that I thought were uh, evil in some way. In the same way that I was scared when I saw a picture of Stephen King in a Walden books once, because I thought that
2: wait you were scared of his picture.
1: Yeah, because in my head he was okay. Three names I got confused a lot as a childhood as a child um that i thought were generally evil because of how i heard them used were charles darwin, carl sagan and stephen king
0: okay who the, i knew they... the unholy trinity right there <laughs> <Yes>. the... <laughs> the the true axis of evil <laughs> Um, uh, the, uh, two of them I get... Carl Sagan uh, is more mysterious to me as to why he'd be on that... Though, though I guess like, he was a big science guy. Science, and, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I, and honestly, it wasn't until I was in college where I studied Darwin in any kind of uh, detail. Because I went to Christian schools. So we just kind of heard about him primarily as a guy who lied about how the world was created. And so he he was kind of this (laughs) evil guy in my head. And when I read about his, uh, his theories, I was like, wait, what, what was wrong with this guy? (laughs) Why,
0: Why do I, why was I supposed to think he was evil? (laughs) Stephen King on the other hand like completely sinister and And I will say to be fair like uh, Stephen King uh, at a certain time period in his life did look genuinely horrifying like (laughs) now he kind of looks like a kindly old man but that that, like uh, you know I'd say late 70s through to about the mid 90s like every picture of him is like off-putting and upsetting and
2: well cocaine is a hell of a drug
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i would agree i would agree and and i'm sure there was some like some wag over it uh the you know his uh his publishing company who's very like now make Stephen look as spooky as possible in this picture yeah he's got
1: somewhere uh, his he looks really pale on the back of some of his some of his
0: covers well, it's, it's like when you see a non-publicity photo of R.L. Stein. Like, in the publicity <laughs> photos, he's this, like, menacing dude, and then you see a regular photo of him, and he's, like, oh, someone's granddad or something Right, yeah. Like that, yeah. You know? A guy <laughs> you could
1: <laughs> easily just push over if you stood on, like, his, <laughs> on yeah, his shoes yeah. and pushed him directly backwards. <laughs> Classic prank. Right, Classic <laughs> the, prank. the best. A uh, jovial Bob Stein. he would appreciate... Appreciate the, <laughs> yeah. the classic callback. So the only th- so, um, the o- only other thing I knew about Anne Rice was her conversion and then kind of her back and forth with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah, I think now she considers herself a secular humanist, yeah. but she did have a big. Um, uh, uh, reborn catholicism
0: yeah so so she um so i'll I'll fill in some of the background here so she was born in 1941 um and grew up catholic and sort of became an agnostic when she was about 18 or so um in part because her mother was an alcoholic who drank herself to death which, which is the you know uh I, I imagine living with that all your life uh, for, during some pretty formative years would uh, not, you know, it's definitely going to shape the way you look at the world for sure. Um, so, and then, uh, so I'll, I'll we'll, we'll circle around to to what we've just mentioned, but I'll touch on a couple of other things too. Um, she she got married quite young when she was about twenty to a guy named Stan Rice. So there you go, uh, Anne and Stan. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a poet and a writer himself, um, but he never quite hit the same heights of fame as Anne did. Uh, I think he also used to be a uni lecturer as well from memory. Um, they had a daughter in 1966 uh, who unfortunately contracted leukaemia and, and died when she was only about six years old. Uh, and and we'll, we'll kind of touch on how some of that comes through in one of the characters in the book in particular. Um uh, but they, they stayed married. They they had another son in the late 70s who's also a writer, Christopher Rice. Um, Anne and Stan were married for about 40 years. Unfortunately, he got brain cancer about 2002 and passed away then. Um, but she's talk, t- talked very positively about him and, and how much she loved him and how much of a positive influence he was on her career and that kind of thing. And. Uh, so then uh yeah yeah she kind of published a few short stories and went and be went to study literature at university in her I guess early 20s uh, and then that kind of, she sort of found herself not really wanting to study, but just to actually be a writer. So after her daughter passed away, she worked on what would become Interview with the Vampire. Um, so the the reviews were not initially super promising, uh, <laughs> but the book did sell well. And she ended up after that, she took a bit of a break from supernatural stuff and wrote a bunch of erotic slash pornographic novels, a few historical things too. Um, one of which was adapted into the Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell starring Exit to Eden in the early 90s. <laughs> which
1: I watched as a teen uh, looking for it to be really sexy. <laughs> uh, uh, I was very yeah, disappointed.
0: Uh, I, I remember seeing the um, the the video, the VHS, in the in the local store from quite a young age. And of <laughs> course, I didn't know it was, it was Anne Rice at the time or anything like that, but I do remember... The older I got and I'd still see it hanging around there the more I was just like there's something off about this like this is, this is going to be formative in a very negative way if I ever watch <laughs> it kind of thing like the, um, and she has said herself that it's not very in line with the uh, the tone of the original book she wrote so yeah know. it's not a uh, comedy caper <laughs> no 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 it's like I, I think it was kind of like maybe the, the crass way to put it would be like a proto Fifty Shades of Grey or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. but i yeah. Don't know if anyone involved would would necessarily appreciate that comparison. So
1: <laughs> I'm going to tell you uh, the one joke I remember from the uh, ad that I saw over and over. Um so there, d- Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd are undercover trying to solve like some kind of crime on this like sex island. It's like resort uh the, just
2: It's like an Epstein it, island, but legal. It, you no, know, it's like an S&M
1: themed <laughs> like getaway for a know, for, a, for adults and uh, a shirtless man says to Rosie O'Donnell, how can, I, how can I fulfill your fantasy? And she goes, Go paint my house. Classic. Oh, that's,
0: and classic the, then it like smash hilarious. cuts to him actually painting the house <laughs> yeah. or something. Like that. No, that would have been too funny for the movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, th- 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 yeah, the, definitely. The, that's one of those, like, we definitely won't be doing an episode on that but that is definitely one of those films that only could have happened in the early 90s, I think. So, <laughs> True. The, you know, it wouldn't happen now, and we're better for it. So <laughs> um, so then, then obviously, uh, she did circle back around to it, and now she writes virtually nothing but um, uh, vampire chronicles novels and adjacent stuff. Um, uh, but, yeah, in the late 90s, she ended up going back to Catholicism Uh, and then a few years after that, wrote a, wrote a couple of books about the life of Jesus, which was meant to be a trilogy, but uh, at the moment just stands as a duology. Uh, and she wrote kind of a spiritual memoir as well, where she, where she talked about her reasoning for going back and that kind of thing. And she, one, one thing that I do kind of appreciate is that she never sort of tried to disown all this stuff she'd written in the past. And she was very like, no, that was very important for me. So, (laughs) um, uh and but yeah yeah the, the the most recent update is is that she considers herself a secular humanist but i i might posit to say that like watch this space kind of thing so <laughs> but she's still she's still very much alive like she's 80 this year so you, you never know what will happen there i guess um <laughs> um what was her lo- and then what was her last novel Uh i think it was like it was stat the prince of atlantis or something like that <laughs> that yeah, sounds yeah. right i can't, yeah yeah i know that was recent i'm not sure if it's the most recent so um yeah so so obviously she's carved out quite a career for herself and done very well like much better than most authors (laughs) ever will like (laughs) um but i guess uh jess do you want to maybe give a for interview with the vampire itself do you maybe want to give a quick rundown of the the actual story and so on um because I know you just Me? finish. Yeah, I know you just finished watching the movie right before uh, we uh, before we started recording. So I know it'll be sort of freshest in your mind.
2: Okay, um, I will do a very very quick rundown. Um, it won't be as in depth as uh, what we normally do in our podcast. No, no, but... no,
0: don't don't worry about that. Quick, <laughs> quick, quick is fine. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the story is exactly like the title. Um, there is a character named The Boy, I believe, who is interviewing a vampire named Louie. And Louie gives a, a chronicle of his life, um, from the time he was turned into a vampire into the present time. Um, that includes the reasons, uh, why he became a vampire. Um, I believe in the book it is because of the death of his brother Um, and he meets Lestat and uh, Lestat offers him like the choice between life or uh, eternal life or death.
0: Th- was it, was, his, was it his brother or was it his wife and daughter? I can't. Yeah. In,
2: in the in the movie, it's his wife and daughter. Oh, that's right. You're right. Movie. In in the book, it is yeah. his
0: brother, and his brother's the and... the hyper saintly guy. That's right. Yes, yeah, yeah.
2: yes. And I, I honestly, I think the 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 wife and daughter makes more sense to me.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I can definitely see why they changed it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. So, uh, it goes on to um. He's he's just kind of a miserable uh, vampire. Um, he is basically just Lestat's companion. Um, they leave the uh, plantation that he lives on after Lestat uh, has begun preying exclusively upon the slaves. They, they, they are the slave, s- slave
0: slave owning vampires.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. We'll we'll we'll, yes.
0: we'll get to some of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh... <laughs> Yeah.
2: So after the after the revolt, um, they go. Uh, Louis burns down his his plantation, and they move to New Orleans. There, uh, one night, Louis comes across a young girl who is um,
0: she's dying of the plague, I think. Like, yes, uh, the...
2: she's sick from the plague, and her mother is already dead, and she is laying next to her mother's corpse and crying. Um, and Louis has not been really accepting of the vampire existence and has been living mainly exclusively, I believe upon feasting upon rats. (laughs) And, and, uh, when he sees this young girl, he is overcome with emotion, I guess. And, uh, starts to feed upon her. And, um, I believe he's interrupted by Lestat. I'm trying to remember. I'm might be conflating parts of the movie with the book, but anyway, it's it's
0: pretty it's pretty similar to yeah to, yes yeah.
2: yes. Um, Lestat. Uh, he is the one who actually turns this young girl into a vampire, and her name is Claudia, and she is actually probably my favorite character in the book, and one of the most interesting, um, as she is a. As she eventually ages as a vampire, she's trapped in the body of, like, a, a, what, nine or ten-year-old girl? Yeah, yeah. I think think in
0: the movie, she's, like, nine or ten. In the book, she's, like, six or seven, something like that, yeah.
2: But she's got the intellect and the desires of a a more adult female, um, which makes her kind of an interesting character. Um, Eventually, they grew tired of Lestat's abuse... Um, and they, well, Claudia, um, plots to kill him and she does so by, uh, luring, I believe a set of twins to their home and, uh, she gives them laudanum and this causes the young boys to overdose, but she tells Lestat that she had brought them. For him to feed upon, and that they are just drunk on a thimbleful of liquor, and of course that's not true. They ha- she had given them laudanum. Um, it might have been a combination of laudanum and absinthe.
0: It might have, I yeah, think. yeah, it's something like yeah. that. Yeah, I think I think maybe yes. just laudanum in the book and then absinthe as well in the in the. Um, no, the other way around. Laudanum and absinthe in the book, and then just laudanum yes. in the the movie something like that yeah
2: yeah and and so because the stat had feasted upon these young boys who had already died as a vampire that's the one rule that he told them was that you cannot feast upon um the blood of a dead human (laughs) They have to still be alive you can't keep feasting on them you have to stop at a certain point because you cannot feast on the blood of the dead. The sickens him. They get rid of his corpse. They plan to leave to Europe. Um, but before they do, as they are about to get onto their ship to leave, uh, they are greeted by Lestat, <laughs> who has emerged from the swamp where they left his body. And he is a ghoulish creature and he attacks them and Louis sets him on fire, and the home on fire, and they make their getaway to Europe Class. while they're in Europe.
0: Yeah. Cl- I was just going to say, classic prank. Like, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, n- I need to get out of this highly dysfunctional relationship. It's time to just burn the house down. You,
2: know? you do what you got to do. Yeah. Um <laughs> while in Europe, they are on a mission to find others like themselves because they want to know more about the uh, about vampires, about where they came from, about who maybe created Lestat. They have never met anyone else like them other than Lestat. And while they're there, they actually do come across um, in Eastern Europe some very... I would say ghoulish Nosferatu type vampires that they kill.
0: Yeah, I think they were kind and of I... meant to be like um, Dampiers or something like that. Uh, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but they're kind of, kind of like the sort of vampires of folklore who are these sort of a- animalistic beasts as opposed to mm-hmm. the um, more sophisticated Dracula type. The very but... refined
1: well... ones that we know from, from everything now. Yeah,
2: yeah. The, 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 as the opposed very... to the spooky
0: Draculas. Yeah. Like, yeah, the...
1: Ex-
2: yeah. Um, eventually they make their way to Paris and while in Paris, they just, you know, they are really, um, part of the city. They love it. And they eventually meet a coven of vampires that is led by Armand and Armand and Louis are instantly drawn to each other. There is major attraction there to each other. Claudia is very standoffish, um, is not into this coven the coven has a uh, a theater in which they perform a show that normal people can go to, and in the show, they actually do um, kill a real-life human, but it all looks like it's part of the play, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like they're, they're running a Grand Gunyal... I'm, I'm not pronouncing this properly, but Grand Gunyal Theater or something like that, which was like an actual kind of theater that you could go to back in those times. It's not just something she made up for the, for the novel or the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah. But but that's, the you know, it was kind of like there were plays you could go to that were sort of precursors to slasher films, essentially.
2: Okay. Yes. And Claudia, this is very distasteful to her. Um, she senses that Louis will leave her for Armand, And so she begs him to create a companion for her. So she is not left alone. And so Louis does give in and um, turns a doll maker named Madeline into her companion. And they live together in Paris peacefully for a short period until one night they are their home is invaded basically by the coven of vampires Um they drag them to the theater and they are punishing them. There's been this animosity between them and they are punishing them for killing another vampire. And that vampire is Lestat. They put Louis in a coffin sealed in concrete and entomb him. And then they put Madeline and, um, Claudia in an open courtyard. So when the sun comes up, they will perish, uh, Again, classic prank. (laughs) prank. (laughs) It's a good one. Armand um, saves uh, Louis, but is not able to save Madeline and Claudia. They are gone. Claudia was done wrong. I don't appreciate that at all. It's sad. Um, But... Lesta- uh, I'm sorry, Louis gets his revenge and sets the theater on fire the following night. Armand is not there, so he is safe. And Armand and Louis meet up later and become companions in their life until Louis decides he no longer wants to uh, live that kind of way and goes back to the States, where he uh, goes back to New Orleans and one night. Um, sees a young man and follows him to a kind of run down, abandoned looking mansion. He goes inside and there is Lestat who has been living there all this time and feeding off of, uh, rats, I believe, and anything that his young caretakers will bring him. In this case, it was a baby. So, um, (laughs) Louis takes the baby away. Um, Talks to Lestat and tells him he'll never stay with him. After Lestat begs him to stay and remain his companion, it takes the baby back to its place and then finds his new home, I guess, in San Francisco, where he relates his story to the boy who is recording this. The boy, at the end, upon hearing everything, begs for Louis to turn him into a vampire. Which Louis refuses to do because the boy did not get the, the whole point of his tail. And uh, the boy then leaves and decides to find Lestat because he is pretty sure that Lestat will turn him into a vampire. So he can have immortality.
0: Thank you, is Jess. That basically, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. It 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 is like I'm I'm sorry to have put you on the spot like that, um, but it, but it, but but yeah, that that was uh, that was really good, and I think it's not like a conventional narrative. I guess it's more like a collection of events that sort of eventually come full circle. Uh, I kind of found like a. Um, so, I guess then, how did you guys enjoy it like because <laughs> I hadn't read it since I was about eighteen, and I thought it seemed like an obvious one for an episode of the show um just because it it has been so influential and it is quite still is still quite influential if if not as prominent these days but uh I remember really enjoying it at 18. Uh, I probably got more out of it at 35, but I, I found it much more of a sog to get through than I did back then. <laughs> um, how about mm-hmm. you guys? What, what's, what's your take?
2: Yeah, I had a hard time getting through the book. Um, I actually found that the book picked up for me when Claudia enters oh i would I would agree um,
0: absolutely yeah yeah
2: hmm. yeah and especially whenever they uh go to paris and armand and his coven of vampires enter the scene um that's when the book actually really really picked up for me and i had a lot more interest in the book uh, it seemed like there was just more tension there uh romantically <laughs> even um and uh I found it much more interesting than the the first half of the book. I I found that uh, Louis was just a really whiny yeah, 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 <laughs> narrator. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, he's. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, he's... <laughs> I th- I think one thing that's important to remember is when it came out is that um, vampires were kind of bordering almost on on camp and a bit silly and and childish. Like uh, you know, the pop culture idea of vampires was very like. Um, christopher lee and bella lugosi and they're sort of uh not to say that they they weren't in good movies as as dracula or anything like that but they'd sort of already become cartoon character versions of themselves by then i think and you know they, they were sort of more like kids halloween costumes as as opposed to like being these genuine menaces Um, And I think Anne Rice sort of, whether or not... She's not talked about it a great deal in the interviews I came across, but I think she sort of realised that, like... Um, oh, There's more to them than just being inherently frightening. Like, the, there's other stuff I can kind of explore here. And so, at, at face value, the first thing she does is just double down on all the, the kind of horniness that's in Dracula, uh, but then, um, then sort of really ramps it up to the max and um, uh, takes it, and, and as a result of that, uses a bit of a springboard to talk about some other things like existentialism and, and so on. Yeah, but I, but I think in practical terms, it's it's kind of a romance novel dressed up in horror trappings. Like obviously, there's large connections to kind of um, gothic fiction as a genre in that in that kind of uh, uh, you, you know not not modern goth, but like uh, sort of 18th century stuff. And uh, I, I definitely think there's aspects of it that are kind of tricky to engage with now. Like the most obvious one is the how cavalier. It is talking about stuff like slavery, um, even even elements of the violence and, and power dynamics in relationships that it touches on. Um, th- this is where you enter a tougher thing because um, it, it's not kind of... Um, there is that aspect of, like, is Anne Rice just being actively ignorant about this stuff? Or conversely, is, is it actually meant to present an image of a character who's lived through um periods of hundreds of years and when you uh, have lived that long and you don't see yourself as human anymore and so on and so forth whether or not you actually have kind of i guess moral stances about these things um, or is it a bit of both, you know? <laughs> so, so I don't, uh, you know, I wouldn't say like, it's, it's, uh, it's a book that you shouldn't read or anything like that, but, but, you know, there are challenging aspects to it, you know, I think mm-hmm. particularly looking at it in, you know, early 2021 at the time of recording, but I don't know if you guys had any thoughts around that.
1: Not really. Jill? No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It didn't it uh, it didn't feel that terror. Like, it, it was one of the things where, I yeah, I'm reading a book that was written in the 70s, and uh, I mean, she's not really doing any commentary on any any of that that I can see. It just kind of feels like where she wanted to set it, because that's where she lived.
0: <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's definitely it, too. I mean, you know, she grew up in New Orleans, so I think that there's that aspect of having lived with some of this history day to day in a way that that not all of us have i suppose yeah so um i do like the idea that she's
1: just uh holding uh uh lestat accountable for him being toxic
0: Lestat is 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 hard cancelled, like, right? You yeah. know. <laughs> um, no, he was going to eat a baby. He was going to eat a baby. No, I don't. Think, I don't think it's even about that. It's more just something that maybe jumped out to me more, at, uh, you know, reading it now than when I first read it. I guess, and some of that's having more awareness of some of the his- there's some of the real history behind New Orleans and things like that than than idea that. Um, you know, as an eighteen-year-old kid growing up, uh, an hour and a half north of Sydney, you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's other stuff too. Like, I think her writing style also has that challenge where you kind of like, uh, is this meant to be so overwrought, and is <laughs> it overwrought because? you are not a very good writer or because you are, con- you know, meant to be conveying these hyper-emotional and hyper-reactive characters and things like that? Or, again, is there an element of both of this? Like, are you, are you kind of writing to your, to you, you know, are you turning your weakness into a strength here, I guess? that That's something
1: that you run into a lot with young adult stuff because for young adults, every everything, especially, like, modern stuff, Everything is the end of the world, you know. Like, like everything matters so much when you're a teen. So, it, it are are these stakes in a teen novel so high because the or or the the way that it's written is this just a bad writer or is this how a teen would react to not being not getting a good enough promposal, that kind of thing?
0: Whoa. And also with modern YA too, like you know, is is this going to be sort of outlandish enough to connect with a bunch of people in their mid thirties <laughs> who, who, who who are going to get mad about it one way or another on Twitter, you know? Right. So, so, um, yeah,
2: I'm trying to because Josh and I mainly focus on like books from like the seventies, eighties, and nineties on our podcast. So I'm trying to imagine like a large audience of, like, 35-year-olds buying Fear Street books, and I don't see it. No, no, definitely not. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, they do now. You know, like...
2: Well, well, now, because they grew up with them, you know, 20 years ago. I would
1: say current young adult is read by a lot of adults. (laughs) Like... Oh, well, yeah, yeah. The majority of the readers are... Uh, young adults, but it's probably tied with high school English teachers <laughs> who are going to have these read in their class instead of Huck Finn.
0: Well, in some ways, and I mean, I don't know if you guys would would you know feel free to to disagree with me on this. Like, if it wasn't for all the kind of implied sex and and violence, and, and maybe not even the violence, like, you know, this in many ways would... Like, I think I can see why teenagers click with it, you know? Like, even yeah. if they are maybe technically too young to be reading it. Like, mm-hmm. um,
2: yeah, totally. I think as an adult, I was like, man, I wish there was more sex in this Yeah, book. it's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was... That, I mean, I was disappointed. I was <laughs> promised a little.
1: Uh, to be titillated, and that it was going to be erotic <laughs> vampire stuff. And the movie... Was always described as erotic. I, I was not titillated, guys. I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, it's not as hot. I, I just as want I was to make promised. it very
0: clear that I did not make these promises.
1: So <laughs> yeah, <watch>. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, culture as a whole, told me that. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, that's uh, very true. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, people yeah. who kept this from me when I was thirteen or fourteen. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, and I can also, like, I think maybe what does resonate particularly for me still now, like, uh, and and definitely when I was 18, and uh, also to some degree describes why, um, you know, she's de- developed such a loyal um, LGBTQI plus fan base over the years is that it, mm-hmm. it does speak to being an outsider, I think. And, and it's very easy to feel like an outsider as a teenager, you know, even if you've got a relatively easy life and things like that. And particularly if you don't, you know, it's – it's um, you know, it, it sort of does give you that grounding in, oh, you know, I'm not the only one who feels this way, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. And I, after watching the movie, I was reading, like, user reviews, and a lot of people said
1: – Uh, Everything I had read going into this said they had downplayed the homoeroticism of the relationship. They did not. (laughs) Like Everyone was uh, in agreement that the movie was even more... uh, uh, like The relationship between uh, Lestat and Louis was even more erotic than in the book. In the film than in the book?
2: I did not see that at all. Really?
1: Okay. Well, take it up with the letterboxed reviews. I
2: thought the book was more (laughs) erotic. Than the than what was presented in, in well the I film. think part of it uh, is
1: that you're looking at uh, a hot young Brad Pitt and a hot youngish Tom it's, Cruise
2: it's true and and then later a hot Antonio Banderas and a hot you know, like, Stephen Ray yes <laughs> yes and and let's uh, let's
0: not forget Christian Slater either thank you very much for
2: that. <laughs> I a lot of my commentary while I was watching this with Blake was like man that was Christian Slater. At his prime, <laughs> like Ooh. just prime. That's his player. prime. Oh, Yes. Now pump up, pump up 90, the volume. Ninety-four. Fun, fun that facts. That was just that, like two years before.
0: Well, um, fun facts. That part was actually meant to be played by River Phoenix, um, but unfortunately, right before filming began um obviously he had his um situation where he passed away very abruptly and mm-hmm. uh apparently christian slater had like two weeks notice to, co- to learn his lines and come to set and so on and um i will say like you know like obviously it's sad that river phoenix couldn't be part of it um but the way I saw some of the reviews talking about the film, as though, like, oh, Christian Slater stepped into this role out of nowhere, I was thinking, like, he's got like five lines. You know? Right. <laughs> like yeah, I'm reasonably confident I could play this part tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe
2: uh, there were more in the original cut. We don't know. That's true. Know. That
0: is true. Yeah. yeah they,
1: so. they didn't come back to that stuff as much in the movie, right, as in the book. Like, mm-hmm. which, which no. fine, good. Uh, we don't, like, there's no real reason for it. That was one of my problems. No, with No, it's the just book. it's a framing device, right? Is book, is like, the yeah. yes? Is I didn't. So the book is essentially a monologue, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I so I I kind of didn't. I I don't know. I guess I didn't like that. Well, <laughs> as I was reading it, it made it more <laughs> would, boring would you, to me. Yeah, I, I and, feel
2: like with monologues, it's it's very unnatural dialogue in the way that a person would speak. Mm. So it's very hard to read uh, for an entire novel, anyway. Uh, uh,
0: I, I do think it, it has like definitely has like first novel problems. You know, mm-hmm. like that you can you can see what compelled the the publisher to pick it up and the agent to pitch it and so on and so forth. And um, I think that. Uh, I know for myself, like, uh, after I read this one, I read the next two, because um, my girlfriend at the time and I, uh, I think I think my parents might have got them for her for Christmas or something like that. Like, the, the vampire stat and Queen of the Damned, I found the vampire stat, like, near unreadable. Um, Queen of the Damned was better but it still wasn't good like (laughs) the stat kind of gets reformed as a character Um, because I think Anne Rice realized like he was is that a sequel It's
1: it's not a prequel it's a sequel
0: no, no, it's a sequel, it's okay. a sequel, and then, um, you, you know, it fills in some prequel elements as well, and, it, you know, it kind of just palms it off by saying, like, oh, you know, like, Louis was, like, a little whiner, of course he thought it was this big <laughs> evil monster, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just kind of hand Does... waves it away that way. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Does the boy ever meet up with Lestat? That's my question. Uh, the so the
0: boy yeah. apparently becomes... I don't remember reading anymore with the boy in it, but he does eventually get a name. His name's Daniel something. And ah, okay. uh, in one of the later novels, I think he gets turned into a vampire by Amand or something like that. So, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But, but, you know listeners feel free to not quote me on that like go do your own research i, I think i just found this on wikipedia or something so um and yeah Armand becomes a bigger player in some of the future novels and I, th- I think louis himself actually sort of fades into the background a bit which which is understandable cuz he's um despite being the central character in this one also potentially the least interesting he's kind of dead that, weight so. <laughs>
1: Like like Jessica said, it becomes much more interesting when we have Claudia there because now we have some more interesting conflict for one, but two, we have a character that we care about mm. in a way that I didn't really care about Louis yeah, or yeah. Uh, Lestat.
0: Yeah, well, a character who has um, more at stake too, for sure. Like, so uh, I think mm-hmm. the the arc I kind of saw it following was that like Anne Rice herself talked a lot about how. When she sort of came back to Catholicism, she sort of talked about how she felt like some of these books were a search for a meaning in a world without God and that kind of thing. And I I can kind of see where she was coming from, Mm because it does follow that arc. Like, you know, Louis encounters disappointment when he's a devout Catholic, Uh, then he's quote-unquote rescued by Ostat. La- Lestat's a really, like, stereotypical, self-destructive nihilist. Um, you know, nothing matters, so why does it matter who you hurt? Like, And that doesn't sit with, well with Louis, but Claudia kind of just goes with it and is arguably better at it than Lestat. Um, so then when they finally ditch Lestat and meet up with the um, with the, the coven of vampires in, in France... You know, all the vampires, with the exception of Armand, are kind of like hedonistic, poor man's versions of Lestat's, Uh, you know, and then Armand, I think, kind of represents uh, a bit of a a potential there, you know, you can hybridize, you know, the more positive aspects of Lestat, and as well as Louis' own kind of like, you know, quote-unquote, higher leanings, Um, but, you know, Louis himself can't kind of reconcile with that in part because he helped kill Claudia indirectly. So, you know, at the end of it, Louis, even though he's kind of a boring character, he's gone off and he's making his own meaning, even if he's doing it imperfectly. So, uh, you know, that, that was kind of how I felt about it. Now I definitely didn't feel that way at 18. I was kind of like, oh, it's a cool book about (laughs) vampires. Like, you know, (laughs) did did you read the vampire,
1: the LJ Smith vampire diaries? Ever no no? K- well, they? Uh, they
0: were like a teen. Are thing they are they, teen, or... aren't they? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I remember. The, I remember the TV show, but I, I never saw it or anything. Yeah, because I think
1: they were eighties. So I, I was just curious as to how much those were ripoffs of. Yeah. Of- yeah well, right.
2: they were. I think they were released in the eighties, right? Yeah. And then with Stephanie Meyer and the Twilight, uh, teen. Dream remaking of vampires. The Vampire Diaries were reprinted and had like a, a rebirth of interest, I guess. Yeah, right, right. That um, turned into a CW show I, that, that went on for being, yeah. probably like a yes. decade or whatever. Like Supernatural is that the show that was on for like forty yeah, years? Uh, I think yeah. it just
1: ended. It was like nineteen or twenty years.
2: Yeah, this, which is nutso, Vamp- but, Vampire uh,
1: Diaries were perfect because uh, they didn't have to. Have someone like go to the to the lab and write up a new like trilogy. They just were able to put them out looking exactly like Twilight books,
0: like right away. Yeah, it's just a case of can you call the designer in for a few hours to um, (laughs) to to knock up some new covers on this one? Yeah, (laughs) and they did.
2: I I meant to look this up and I forgot. But did they ever repackage Interview with the Vampire in a Stephanie Meyer esque? They did not, okay. But they had no problems packaging B.C. Andrews books, (laughs) (laughs) which have no vampires to try to lure uh, young readers. Okay, just wondering.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I would say that, like, um, because I've seen a couple of the Twilight movies, I haven't read the books, but they're, they're pretty you know tame and chaste and so on like it would yeah. uh, i imagine it'd be quite a shock to go to like flowers in the attic after twilight
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah th- um, that'd be like yeah. let's let's package up 50 shades of gray for for the uh ya crowd and put it looking like <laughs> yeah. twilight
2: you know what give it 30 years Now, yeah <laughs> it'll happen
1: i i if if my kid came to me i don't have a kid But in this scenario, if if my cat came to me and said, can I, would you rather have me read Flowers in the Attic or Fifty Shades of Grey? Uh, I, no, never mind. Fifty Shades of Grey, they have terrible, (laughs) like the morality (laughs) in them is terrible too. Bad
0: books. Yeah, yeah. But I I suppose at least with Flowers in the Attic, you I I don't know, like, my family wasn't that dysfunctional growing up, but, you know, like, I think sometimes seeing such extremes of dysfunction can be helpful if you're not in a very functional situation yourself, you know, like, not to say, like, flowers in the attic is some hill I'm going to die on or anything (laughs) like that, more more just, like, like, things can be... I don't know, like, it ties back to larger questions of how, like, uh, I guess media can be problematic, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't engage, like, obviously you're not obligated to, but it doesn't mean you should never engage with it just because it has some issues, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, everyone is obligated
0: to engage with flowers in the attic. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so next week at Sunday school, we're going to be watching Salo, and uh, (laughs) we're going to watch a Serbian movie night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll be five dollars admission. Popcorn will be provided, and Maltesers. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I think um. Yeah, the, the, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like we've said a whole lot, but I think the, these are kind of like my, my thoughts on it. Like, it's one of these things where I kind of get why it, it's so important to people and why people like it. But uh, and like I said, even reading it again as an, as an adult, as opposed to a young adult, it, um, it definitely resonates differently. And I think there's some good things to come out of it. But uh, I also I also don't know how much I actually enjoyed it at, at the end of that. Like the movie at least felt like it was having more fun, I guess. Like, what, what do you guys think?
2: The movie's definitely got some great campy elements to it, I think. Mm. Uh And seemed to be having a lot more fun with it. Uh, yeah, I think the novel... It was hard to read, and it was hard for me to read uh, about Claudia and just her... Uh, the issues that she had, I think, was the hardest for me to read. Um just because she had so many passions, but would never be taken seriously, just trapped in that body of like a nine-year-old forever, you know, and she would never get to experience so many things. And why, why did they do this to her? Like she just, it was very actually kind of heartbreaking her character. Um, And I think that was actually, I don't know if it would have resonated with me as like a 11 year old when I first attempted to read that book. But as an adult, it just, it kind of, like, broke my heart. Like, her plight <laughs> it was so sad. Well, and, um, and I
0: think, too, it's sort of, like, when I found out that Anne Rice's daughter had, had passed mm-hmm. away as a result of leukemia, I mean, like, she's the, the sort of very obvious inspiration for Cordia after you find out about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yes. And, and even,
2: like, the stand-in, obviously, um, whenever she is seeking a companion to take care of her uh the companion, Madeline, had a daughter who had died when she was about Claudia's age. So That's right,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. is
2: seeking a, a daughter who will never die, just like Claudia is seeking a companion who will never leave. And it's just, it's really sad. Um, and I think that struck me probably a lot differently than it would have if I had been a teenager reading the book Um and I also just I just thought that was like the the most interesting part of the whole novel to me was just anything involving Claudia. Um but I would recommend it. Just get to the Claudia parts. Skip ahead. <laughs> read read the Claudia parts. Um and I liked uh some of the uh the the uh Coven of Vampire stuff. It was just very uh melodramatic and, and kind of fun to read that way. Do
1: do um, the pharaoh cut of it. So instead of like overstuffing it more like <laughs> Snyder would do just like chop some stuff out and get it down to a tight 120 pages
2: i could do it i, I, I don't do t- it
1: that's the thing about the movie though is the movie so what was it 94 uh mm-hmm. so it's only 120 so it's two hours like with credits like that feels short by today's standards you know what i mean like it,
2: now, the uh, tendency for from- it was
0: a positive relief having a movie be so short, yeah. The other week, <laughs> to be honest, like, like the-
2: now it'd be a miniseries, right? Well, yeah. it, yeah. it's, it's
0: interesting you say that, Jess. Uh, <laughs> cause, uh oh no, th- they were going to make another movie of it uh, a few years ago because um, th- they did turn queen the. Th- th- Queen of the Damned came out as a movie about two thousand two or something yeah. like that. Um
2: mm-hmm. with Aaliyah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while she was good in it, the movie itself is appallingly bad. Like it it's it's awful. Like uh you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But um it, it kind of combines elements of um the vampire the second and third books and smushes them together very unsuccessfully. Uh, And then, um, yeah, so Anne Rice was really upset with that and eventually she got the rights back. For a while, they were sold again to make another movie, but now she's got them again. And just recently, she sold them to AMC, and they are apparently going to do a TV series. So if The Walking Dead is anything to go by, I guess we've got like a decade plus of Vampire (laughs) Chronicle TV series to look forward to. Yeah,
2: I demand at least three seasons of Claudia's story, so (laughs) at least...
0: I think uh, I I didn't I I definitely didn't connect with Cordia as much as you did. I, I was sympathetic to her, but I think by the end of it, I. I mean, they're all such amoral characters just doing horribly amoral things the whole way through, <laughs> um, but I would definitely agree that she's far and away the most tragic in it, because like, Lestat and Louie are both adults when they're, when they're turned into vampires, and they're like, you know, obviously selfish and self-interested, <laughs> um, so I, I wouldn't say that I came away feeling quite the same way about Cordia, but absolutely get why you would, and I'm glad you sort of said that too because it's it's given me a new way to think on it as well too i think yeah who's your favorite josh like the... oh,
1: i have to have a favorite
0: uh it's mandatory yeah. uh,
1: well i would say my favorite is Lestat at the end with the thing added to, you, added to the movie yeah <laughs> When he jumps up in the car, oh, <laughs> so when he, stupid! All oh, right, yeah. What is the last line? What does he say? It's something incredibly stupid. It's
0: something like, um, "I." Let's we
2: can bring Blake in. Maybe Blake remembers. Uh, yeah, when
0: he's yeah. yeah. It. How about How about we take a quick break and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the movie? Hey,
1: okay. The world is a vampire.
0: So, welcome back to Lupine Transmissions, everyone, where we're talking about uh, Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. Uh, Now, we've been joined by another special guest, uh, who's Jess's husband, Blake, uh, who you might remember from a couple of previous episodes of Lupine Transmissions. So, Blake... um, just before you came in we were discussing uh the sort of intertextuality of the film of interview with the vampire versus the book of interview with the vampire uh, and how both of them in distinct ways have strong parallels with Jean-Paul Sartre's nausea uh and also the the Freudian and and Jungian implications of some of the um the sexuality depicted in this film so I I guess what are what are your thoughts on on all of that because I know this is all within your wheelhouse well
3: yeah I I I do know uh I do know all, all of that the answers to what you just said yes um I was also thinking the same thing um Young is fun. What What's the thing that ends in Sartre is Smartra?
2: (laughs) Kamu can do, but Sartre is Smartra. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Homer Simpsonism, I think.
3: (laughs) Try it again, Blake. No, she. It's I stole. It's a stolen (laughs) joke, anyway.
0: Anyway, would you? Well, look, uh, like uh, um, spoilers, we weren't actually talking about. Okay, right, but, thank uh, God. You know, uh, w- would you agree that Lestat is cancelled? Like?
3: <laughs> um, for all the murder, I mean, in the in the movie, I saw him murder like five hundred people just because he was hungry. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess that'll get you cancelled. And the whole Kirsten Dunst thing. I mean, I I think that's cancelable uh even if she is yep. 100 years old uh i don't think you're supposed to do that
0: <laughs> no it's uh very weird and uncomfortable i mean yes. i don't i they
3: weren't they weren't lovers but they their relationship was inappropriate i'd say so yeah i I'd, i I'd, I'd cancel i'm sure
0: but uh but yeah on a more serious note we brought Blake in now cuz uh he's uh literally just watched the movie uh right before we started recording so yeah. uh blake's takes time it's- blake's takes um it was like two
3: seconds ago folks i haven't even had time to think about it it was it was weird and wild and just so many needless murders
1: and uh put th- put that on the poster weird weird and wild weird. and so many needless murders <laughs>
2: <Yeah.
0: It laughs> is Peter Travers, rolling stone it was big it was quite uh, funny in parts. I thought, yeah. like when the bigoted old lady gets murdered, that was pretty funny. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: first her 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 dogs get murdered. Oh yeah, that was just messed, messed up. Yeah.
0: I I did love like. Obviously, I'm not a big fan of um, dog death in films. Like, yeah. you know, that that's a whole thing unto itself. But. I did love how they made the, the do- even the dogs were so hateable. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, well, they had, they had to establish that the dogs are, are bad so that you don't feel too bad <laughs> Look, when they die.
2: Even that rat was hateable that Louis dined upon. Those rats had
3: it coming. There were like a thousand fake dead rats in this film. It was, it was
0: a gross film. I didn't expect it to be so gross. Actually, fun fact: um, one of those dead rats was actually played by the um, the same dead rat as in uh, Hellraiser. Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Oh, okay. okay, I
2: thought he looked familiar. <laughs> okay.
3: Oh, and they both ate ate the rat to kind of regain some strength. Am I getting that right? In in both films,
0: hit hit points. I think what they, yes. they called in the movie. Mm-hmm.
3: Actually, yeah, it's like the the movie logic that eat a rat, you gain like fifty
0: HP. Yeah, but Eat a Human gained 500 HP, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm. But, uh. Yeah, yeah so. Um, yeah, so the movie itself is. Uh, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I probably enjoyed it more than the book, perhaps <laughs> because it only took me two hours as opposed to several days. And I think that the changes it makes are changes for the better, for the most part. Um, you know, it kind of distills the sort of core essence of it uh, down into a. Much more manageable package, and it cuts out um, all of the whining, to be quite frank. So, (laughs) while while still having enough whininess to to communicate that. um,
2: It's a very Gen X movie. Sorry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's peak Gen X. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
3: Oh, just because of the mopiness?
2: Yeah, just so dreadful. Dreary.
3: Uh, Just. Just total malaise yes. and uh, total
2: ennui i'm
3: I'm so tired of being a vampire. It's so exhausting, miserable.
0: Yeah, it's sort of... Uh, I feel like its take on on immortality is kind of... Like, the book and the movie has kind of become the default take for a lot of people. Like, you know, uh, okay, so uh, I'm immortal and it's so challenging mm-hmm. because I see everyone around me get old and die and I can't save them and blah, blah, blah. And that, that part I understand, mm-hmm. like, you know. Uh, but then there's also this aspect of, you, you know, th- there's that kind of... <sighs> Like, oh, you know, because I am immortal, that means I subscribe to a different morality, and I don't need to be interested in human affairs or politics, and blah, 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 and, you know, everything changes, and, 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 you know, that, that I... While I can understand it at some level, I'd kind of like to see a different take around it. I'm sure there's authors and, and directors who've explored it, like, but surely, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I'd like to be here for more than 70 or 80 yeah. years if I retained my youthful good looks the whole time. Like... Yeah, if,
2: if I had the looks of a Brad Pitt <laughs> and I was offered yeah. eternal life when I was what 25, 26, yes, I would take it. Like I was talking to Blake and I was like. Hell yeah, I would take it. Number one, I'm scared of death. Number two, um, I could read all the books I want, listen to all the music I want, see all the movies I want. Like I would indulge myself, I guess, in arts. Um,
0: you, you could read all of um, the Vampire Chronicles. Finally. Like, finally yeah, I'd finally have, have the
2: time. time. <laughs> <laughs> um, would
0: you take it if you were Claudia's
3: age?
2: No, because that sucks.
3: <laughs> yeah. It'd be the worst.
2: Yeah, I couldn't have the fun orgies because everyone's like, oh, oh my no. god, you're like seven. You no. could
0: get a you go to your room, yeah. <laughs> you could pose as a child <laughs> could, and get away with all Go to your day. room while the other vampires have the orgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I want in on the vampire orgies if I'm a vampire. I mean, that's so, part of the deal. Fun
0: facts, um, fun facts canonically in the, in the vampire chronicles, they're uh, can I say this word? Penises um, don't work. <laughs> what? Um, th- <laughs> that's okay yeah, i don't so that's want this the, that's why there's all the sort of implied eroticism around the biting and and things like that like that that's sort of their substitute for mm-hmm. for penises and things like that so yeah <laughs> that's
2: don't they talk about
0: very interesting
2: feeling in the books don't they talk about feeling each other's um <laughs> uh hard-ons sorry that sounds really crude i'm trying to we call
3: them wooden
1: stakes.
2: Uh, in the book don't
1: they say oh you're rock hard
2: as (laughs) Beavis would say don't they have stiffies i mean
0: (laughs) um i think like look to be fair i think the the books are kind of inconsistent like and i think to be fair with the with the first book she hadn't sort of fully sorted out the mythos and things like that and is she maybe making it up as she goes along? Um, I mean, aren't we all? Maybe you know, like, yeah, the, yeah. To be fair, you know, like yeah. Um, so I'll throw out a few bits of trivia around the movie. Um, the big thing I know is that Anne Rice was very, very mad when uh, Tom Cruise got cast as stat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wanted Rutger Hauer to play the role instead, which which would have been awesome actually. Yeah, but I the, can kind the, the, of
2: she wanted who? I'm sorry,
0: si- uh, Rutger Hauer oh, okay, yeah. from um, from Blade mm-hmm. Runner. Okay, um, he would have been an awesome with that, I think. But I can kind of see why they might not have thought he had the star power, like particularly because I mean, we have this image now of Brad Pitt as like the 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 big star, but I mean he wasn't in nineteen ninety four. No. He was still relatively up and coming. Like he was famous and so on, but he wasn't The Brad Pitt of 2021, (laughs) right? right. Christian Slater
1: was probably a bigger star than him at that point.
2: I would say so because he
1: had roles in the 80s
3: that were big, right? I
2: would say so based upon the uh, covers of YM and Seventeen that I got in the mail. Christian Slater was the Tiger Beat,
3: probably. I
2: never got a Tiger Beat
3: Blake. I'm saying he's probably on it.
2: Ah, it was in KotB.
3: Anyway, he was a goofy guy in that movie. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Make me, make me a vampire. Why not me? That's exactly how he sounded too. That's what he said. Just all of a sudden, I want that power. Pa- if he knew that your that your peen did not work, would he be saying? Right. Would he be saying give me that power? I don't think so. They didn't tell him that part.
2: Do the girl parts work? No. This is important.
3: Oh, jeez. Oh
0: um <laughs> just- TV tropes TV tropes was not um uh, forthcoming on that particular detail. <laughs> so, okay. Um but I but I think the assumption is not exactly uh yeah I do not I d I don't I don't know. <laughs> um the the other the other fun fact is it was actually the first time Tom Cruise had ever played a villain. Oh. And uh it, it's not so surprising that he was so great at it because he became such a one in real life ever since. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he
3: he almost when has he ever played a villain besides this? Trophic Thunder.
0: Yeah, that's a comedic
3: yeah. role
1: though. Like Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: Confession, uh, still never seen Tropic Thunder. And
1: mm. Collateral, he's a villain. Oh. Oh yeah, collateral. I haven't seen that. Haven't either.
2: Seen that Those like- were on the time period when I didn't watch movies. Yeah. yeah.
0: Collateral I haven't seen, but I've heard it's very I good. Have yeah, yeah. It's it's the, really, same, really um, good. the same girlfriend who I read these novels with saw collateral at the movies and she said it was great, but I've still never got around to it. Um Whew it's only been seventeen years since it well, came out, I think. So we will get to it. We'll get to. there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um Yeah, so uh what else happened? Oprah walked out on the screening yeah. of it. Whoa. So
1: I was I, I read that before I uh watched watched the movie. And so I was trying to figure we, out... It- uh, okay, Joe, hang on.
0: I want to clarify this point. So um, when you say you read this before you watched the movie, was this when you were browsing Wikipedia in hopes that the description was detailed enough that you didn't actually have to read the book <laughs> and watch the movie? Basically. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so according to this, this uh, Oprah was at an advanced screening and she walked out 10 minutes in. whoa. What hap- Do you have the
0: quote? Oh, she said, I uh, believe... I don't have an exact b- quote, but I know that she said she didn't want to... I think she was on a slightly... Because um, c- my understanding of Oprah is that while she sort of promotes sort of um, kind of bordering on New Age material, particularly in the 90s, um, she would probably still sort of describe herself as a Christian. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and de- or almost certainly would have at the time. Yeah. Uh, So I I think the idea was she was like, this is a dark movie. I don't want to be inadvertently promoting like this sort of negative energy into the world was was kind of the gist of it.
1: Yeah, here's the quote. I believe there are forces of light and darkness in the world, and I don't want to be a contributor to the force of darkness. Oh, good grief. She didn't know going in, Vampire is in the title. Well, okay, so I was trying to figure out when specifically I think she left. And I think it's that first – it's closer to 20 minutes in, 15 minutes maybe, where Brad Pitt and uh, – um, Tom Cruise? What's his name? Tom Cruise are both feeding on the woman. Oh, at the same time?
2: At, at Like yeah. they're outside at some kind of gathering and they're – yes. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Because th- that's the first real like – Evil, I like, got. I don't know, or like, or like act, actively
0: evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And and to, and I will say too, like, we um, if she was a preview screening, we don't know if she was necessarily watching the final cut either. Uh that's true. I
1: I would be interested to see the interview. She, so she was watching it before she did an interview with Tom Cruise, and she said she thought about canceling the interview. I would like to see the interview
0: and see if it was contentious or what. Well, you know, I had a thought about that when I was reading about that, too, and I was kind of thinking, if only she had cancelled that interview, maybe we wouldn't have had Tom Cruise huh. jumping on the lounge, like, you know, 10, 11 years later. Like, <laughs> if someone you know, had put me- him in his place early. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the- What a
2: weird time. I'm sorry, I'm trying to think about that in terms of pop culture. It was just, what a weird time. I don't know.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it 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 is like I, I enjoyed the movie, uh, like I said earlier. It's such a nineties artifact though. Like I I was really struck watching it. Um and I mean I, I think I said this during the Fire in the Sky episode. So many movies from the nineties look like they're they're made for TV, even though they were extraordinarily expensive at the time. Yeah. And the, uh, maybe the first half of interview with the vampire looks like that, and then when they get to Paris, all of a sudden it looks like wow, no, they spent a lot of money on this. Like, I yeah.
2: I remember thinking like, did they act? There was no way it was filmed on location in New I think, Orleans. I think the right? set mm. building
3: budget was huge, but not a not a whole lot of location. I if I had to guess, mm. it
2: just did it did not look good. Like
3: the, there were nice map paintings of sailboats in the background. Yeah. They, look, they look pretty good,
1: <laughs> but compare it to Fire in the yeah, Sky. I mean, the budget obviously was, was <laughs> which, bigger. Yeah. Which Fire in the Sky looks like like uh, WB shows now or CW shows yeah. look look like much better they have than Netflix.
3: Well, except for those those puppets mm. are are peerless. Top notch. But yeah. um the scene where Which
0: actually what's more frightening, evil start murdering people or the smooth
1: Groots from Fire in the Sky. 1,000% <laughs> the, them. I'm not afraid of stat.
2: <laughs> I'd, wow. I'd be into Lestat. Lestat, Look, he's Lestat do, is too easy to he's kill. He's going to use his vampire hypnosis on you, and you won't even be aware that he's killing you as he's killing you, if he's doing it in the kind way. If he's doing it in the unkind way, he'll let you know, and then he'll put you in a coffin and sit on it and torture oh. you.
3: Can we talk about Kirsten Dunst's baby coffin that she kicks open and it has she has <laughs> she has her dollies like surrounding the coffin and that was great. I love that little little girl coffin. <laughs>
0: Blake, if you had a coffin, would you have like a bunch of Batman's <laughs> in there? when see? I at, at my funeral,
3: I want there to be like a garish display of action <laughs> figures like as they lower me down. Oh, I want God. them like I want them in the casket. I want them riding on the casket as, as it goes widow, down. As his widow,
2: I have to do this.
1: Yeah, you have to yeah. you have to abandon uh, No, that's not how it's going to be, Jessica. You are going to get him stuffed and put in a a, a detoff. <laughs> She's going to do that and display
3: him. the episode of Tales from the
0: Crypt. Before you're buried, uh, I'm going to make sure I steal all the good Mezco figures and stuff no, like that that's, I first. have there's, to sell
2: those to fund his burial. How yeah. do you think I'm going to pay? Oh, it? yeah, I fair, mean, fair,
0: You fair, can take yeah, what you,
3: There's not much good stuff, but... This I, is America. I guess you,
2: do you think I can afford a funeral? No. Yeah, like... Mm.
3: <laughs> no, no, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't <laughs> even have health care up in here. No, I, was, I wanted to talk about how the... The scene where um, Louis, I guess, burns down all of New Orleans to try to kill uh, Lestat. <laughs> that that, 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 that was wild. That,
0: that especially where he comes out and he says, "It's not about the money; it's about sending a message." I was like, "Wow, I can't believe Christopher Nolan just like directly stole that <laughs> from um, from Interview with the Vampire." Life. <laughs>
2: Did you think it fit Christian Slater's character to drive that little sporty convertible that he had sitting oh, outside waiting for
4: him?
0: No, I no. Think so. How did he? How did he afford that? Like, you know, he's like, if he's like, you know, going around interviewing random dickheads. He basically
2: works for late NPR at night. Story core team, right? Because he's like, I yeah. just collect stories. Okay, so you're making yeah. nothing, right? <laughs>
0: yeah i'm just like maybe he maybe it's a rental i guess like but but you know i don't know it it seemed unlikely i was just like you should be driving a way shittier car man like
3: you know (laughs) i don't think the action sequence at the very end would work as well in a in a car with a roof on it that's probably why they went for that because uh tom cruise could stand up in the back and, and be all dramatic and
0: whatever yeah whatever. flail
3: about right what was the yeah. last
2: line of the movie that he says to the boy
3: oh, probably some pun or something <laughs>
2: i forget
3: what
0: was Have, it how about another how about an interview with the vampire too? <laughs> it was,
3: i think it was um i've i've got a i've got a new story you can really sink your teeth into um, uh that's right yeah, what, i mean my like teeth that. i'm the vampire Interview with a vamp. Mm. My, na- my name is Interview. <laughs> interview with a vamp. Interview with a vamp. Yeah, that's, that's the final line. Yes.
2: <laughs> Wait, I did mean to look this uh, up too, and I forgot, but there's a cover of Sympathy for the Devil that plays. Who covered that? Did we?
0: Yeah. Guns N' Roses. Oh, my Wait, God, that, was that was Guns N'
2: Guns... Roses? Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. That did not sound good. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um,. I also think that this movie is obviously it's set all over the place, but it finishes in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now, it finishes in San Francisco in 1993, uh, and obviously it was released in 1994. That means that while this was happening, the events of Mrs. Doubtfire were also happening. <laughs> yeah and full house In real
3: time i think they're all in a shared uh universe so that that does make sense yeah 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 did um you talk about antonio banderas's character and i wanted to know how old he was number one and also where he came from he's the old like do
0: they say how old he is i He's a few hundred years oh, old in the book, He's the I oldest think, so of like that crew. Right? Yeah, that yeah he's, he said he yeah, was he the oldest. Yeah, he's like, like three, four hundred years old. Is he
2: older and, even yeah. than Lestat?
3: He said he was. He said he was the oldest. Yeah. Okay. I thought he was like from ancient
0: Samaria. Yeah, scenarios. he said he he's the oldest Lestat? he's ever known.
2: Did we ever find out who did that?
0: No. The, uh, in the books, they kind of get into okay. that. But no, it wasn't it Armand wasn't who um, who turned Lestat. It was this other, other guy whose name escapes me. Yeah, but the... Um, yeah, the it's yeah, Antonio Banderas I think is meant to be a few hundred years old and I think in the books his style was called Marius and Marius, if I remember correctly, used to be like roman soldier or something like that but it's been so so long since i've read the books like it, it, the the last time i read the vampire stat or queen of the damned it was like 2004 Mm -hmm. so it was a very very long time ago and they're both pretty bad so i'm not going back and reading them again i
2: I do (laughs) wish that for this movie they had a better wig budget because i feel like his wig did him wrong on antonio because he's look He's a beautiful man, and he was beautiful, even more he's beautiful, a very beautiful man. in 1994. And that wig mm. was just appalling.
0: Doing no favors.
2: No, we know he's got a beautiful head of hair, and that. <laughs> yeah, wig...
0: that's what I was thinking. Like, because he was—he this would have been like. He had long hair in like Desperado, which wasn't that long after this. Like, yeah. I guess
2: maybe it wasn't long enough. I yeah, mean, cause they he needed had like just, seven
0: foot long hair. Yeah,
2: because he had just... I was thinking because he made Philadelphia, right? And that was... What year was Philadelphia, Josh? 92? 90,
3: uh, 93. Oh,
2: 93. No, ni-
1: 93. Because 94 short. was Forrest Gump.
2: Okay, okay, so 93. His and he had short, in short hair in So that.
3: it hadn't grown out. It was probably uh, like a bob okay. length or maybe... And that no. just won't do. Sure, sure, sure. It's not
2: what um, vampires gotta have the long A lot hair. of
3: bad hair in this movie all around. <laughs> Kirsten Dunst had
0: maybe... To be the fair, that, that's, the, that's the 90s. Like, I mean, do, who had good hair in the uh, 90s? Everyone was either had a... Dave Coulier. Super greasy. Do you mean like... the 1790s? Because that, that's what I'm uh, talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well,
2: and it mimicked the 1990s. I mean... I
3: got there yeah, There's kind of like faux
2: mullet stuff mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. It's I mean, we went weird. back to the 1790s for inspiration mm. and the 1990s for our oh. hair. The so Rachel really came from, yes. from the 1790s.
0: So I think uh, Marie Antoinette... Yes. she uh, was uh, the really first to that, have. That, that, the, oh. the Piney, the Rachel, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, if I remember correctly, the the Marquis de Sade was um, how Kurt Cobain styled his own hair after that, if I recall uh, correctly. I think you're so, correct, yes. Yeah. Cleopatra yeah. actually had the T-boss, which was uh, long in front
3: and short in back. <laughs> so most people don't well, the... Uh,
0: the... <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, maybe maybe we'll circle around to what Anne Rice is doing today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah by all means. So um yeah yeah so so she turns 80 this year. Um uh she she's going pretty well actually. You know, she had a few years of rough health there. Um she has the diabetes and uh, unfortunately had a couple of health complications with that maybe about 15 years ago. But seems to have come through. Um Obviously, there's this work going on with the new Vampire Chronicles TV series on AMC. Her son, Christopher, also seems to be handling a lot of her stuff these days. He's quite a young guy. He's only about 42 himself. Her- uh, so
2: He's also a writer, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, he is. He's a writer unto himself and he um he's he's sort of done the reverse of his mum, from what I can tell. He did like a bunch of erotica novels first and then moved into horror as opposed to starting with horror, doing some erotica, going back to horror. So, um, And I found out, too, as part of researching this, that Anne Rice's sister, uh, also, who, who's uh, unfortunately passed away, um, published a bunch of novels in the 90s as well, too, which were not about vampires, but they were about werewolves. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the
4: the,
0: the cousin <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't read vampire. any of them. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, did, I did kind of like that um, that that the, the idea of them all having this discussion like uh, over Christmas dinner or something like that, and being like, "No, look, I've got vampires. You can have werewolves," and like then talking to another sibling, being like, "You can have zombies," and you know, yeah, <laughs> so. the youngest one winds up with Sasquatch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, like, all the good <laughs> yeah. monsters were taken. Who you... gets the mummy? Yeah
3: because you get mummies. Uh, well, Rice well, well, mummies and too. Rice took mummy too. She, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. did she? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: The yeah, last she kid just gets, of... just gets just yeah. gets a crocodile that haunts a lake.
2: Well, <laughs> let me specific. tell you that crocodile according to the film Interview with the Vampire, mm. well maybe it was an alligator, but it saved it was a that's a how Lestat No, survived. it was a gator.
3: It was a gator because mm-hmm. it was Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. Um okay. he became a swamp thing in that part. That was very strange. And unsettling.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it was interesting um, actually seeing Tom Cruise make himself so actively ugly right. as well. Too. He never like, does That's that. not something you see very often, yeah. yeah. Which also ties into him playing a villain in Tropic Thunder, yes. where he did definitely play a villain. And, and like, he made
3: himself ugly so. for once.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the... Uh, yeah, and I guess... These days, the you know she she did kind of I I don't think it's solely on her look. I think the these kind of archetypal monsters like vampires get reinvented every few decades anyway by someone, and and I don't think it's ever down to one person entirely. But I think that obviously she was very influential, um, and and obviously has kind of become the face of, of that sort of seventies reinvention from the kind of campy spooky Dracula stuff. Um, You know, a couple of years later, we got the Nosferatu from Werner Herzog. Uh, You know, uh, Stephen King did Salem's Lot that that year as well, too. Uh, And then in the 80s, there was a real burst of vampire films that that sort of broke out of uh, of a lot of the cliches or made fun of them. So like Fright Night, Near Dark, Lost Boys, um, even Monster Squad. Um, and I think if you really want any, and you know, of course she'd gone to influence, uh, wider goth culture. So, I mean, just look at a picture of the damned, uh, uh in the eighties and, uh, or Nick Cave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that interview with the vampire for me today, kind of both the film and the movie kind of fall into the category of like, I see why this was totally awesome when it came out and why people have sort of gone to this well for inspiration. But I also enjoy all of the things that's inspired rather than the original thing itself. And I don't know how much of that is, like, my age and, and when I first encountered these things versus, like, how much of these things... How much of it's... Uh, the things that inspired are just genuinely better. <laughs> I, I don't know. it's It's a tough thing to unpack. Yeah. But... Yeah. How about you, Josh? Any, any, any last thoughts on, on th- this one? Uh, here, here, here's a question I have to
1: see how much this movie, because the book obviously has a huge place in pop culture, but I mm. don't know if the movie does that much. And so here is my litmus test.
0: Are there interview with the sure. vampire Funko Pops from the movie? Ooh. Not yet, but now that you've said it, you've willed it into existence. <laughs> All
2: right, Blake is uh, looking it up right now. We're going to find out. I've,
0: I'm going to say no, in,
1: but and it's not that. a like Hot Topic t-shirt kind
3: of thing either. You know either. what,
2: though? Mm. Maybe. But it should be. In like ten, 10 years or so, it will be. I think our yeah, kids find it on streaming. It'll
3: come back around as, as, as kitsch soon enough.
0: Yeah. No, the AMC the AMC show will, will there will be toys and things of it probably. Yeah. 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 Well I think when the AMC show comes out there'll be that kind of flow on effect where You know, all of a sudden, you you know, it's like every time a new Friday the Thirteenth or something comes out, you know, there's always a and effect, and it sparks interest in the old thing. Or when the, you know, when the Suspiria remake came out, and all of a sudden there, you know, there was a new edition of the old Suspiria on Blu-ray and and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I I think
1: I want to get my uh, interview with the vampire character backpack for school of the boy. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Um, no, no <laughs> interview Funko Pops. It's just it's showing me Universal Monsters mostly. <laughs>
2: well, I guess there's other no impact. Horror.
1: Time for me to start making some customs and have. selling
0: them. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They'll definitely. I think she's still got a pretty dedicated fan base. Like yeah. the, she oh, yeah, she's definitely. an interesting one. She's not someone who like she's kind of polar. Anne Rice herself is kind of polarizing. Not not because she says like you know, she's not like the Dilbert guy who goes online and just says like <laughs> oh, blatantly offensive and stupid. Well, things, I believe she like,
2: left Catholicism because of um of. Uh, various social issues that she does not agree with right because her son is gay am i correct yeah exactly
0: Mm -hmm. exactly and i don't know that she's ever specifically identified herself as as part of the lgbti uh sorry lgbtqi plus community herself but i I think she might be just made on some comments just based on some comments she's Mm -hmm. made but um yeah, but but I don't want to speak for her either. Yeah. So the um, but I th- yeah, like she, definitely the social issues. She seems to be um, you know progressive, I guess. Like it's nothing like that. It's more that she's done things like she's really heavily criticize people who write fan fiction which, which i'm kind of ambivalent about I, I don't write fan fiction myself i'm not part of that community i can't speak to it mm-hmm. it's more that i think she's at a personal level done things that have irritated fans i guess <sighs> but, but but not more like oh you're a horrible person more just like ah. Oh, why would you? Why would you do that when you're such an established millionaire author? Kind of thing. Yeah, like, right. Kind, you know, kind
1: so, of, kind of like yeah. Metallica obsessing oh, yeah. about um, Napster. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like yeah, exactly. That kind exactly.
2: Of thing. worrying about like yeah. a 19 year old college student downloading an album <laughs> who has no money. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't even say it's that extreme. I, I, like Lars Ulrich is a, you know, he he's a natural heel. Like I don't think Anne Rice has that that same Lars Ulrich energy, you know. I believe.
2: Uh, never mind. I was going to say, like, isn't there a quote where like James Hetfield says that he's a better drummer than Lars? Anyway, sorry. Not...
0: <laughs> it sounds about right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think we might might wrap it up there. But uh, yeah, unless anyone else has any final thoughts or uh five stars <laughs> go <laughs> go go check it
3: out yeah. the, the movie not the book i have no idea what the book is like
2: <laughs> we should have made blake read one of the comics because it's been adapted a couple times oh, into comics, comics. Oh, yeah man.
0: yeah it has. i don't know
1: yeah, yeah. Was, did it become a comic when there was the graphic novel craze where everything was being turned into graphic novels no, it was
0: before that. It was like was it? early okay.
1: 90s. Yeah. Mm.
3: I didn't mean to mm. uh, d- derail you, your segue there. <laughs>
0: Thanks, thanks for nothing, Blake. I would say... Look, I, I've added nothing.
2: <laughs> I would say look for the Pharaoh cut of Interview with the Vampire, yes. uh, where it's basically yeah, yeah, just yeah. Claudia and some fun adventures in Paris.
3: It's 15 minutes long.
2: <laughs> I was talking about the book, like, uh, Okay.
1: Look
3: okay.
2: for the Pharaoh edition. No, I got Sorry. You.
1: <laughs> the the Arnett cut of the movie is just going to be that final scene when Tom Cruise pops up and christian slater's car
2: yeah
1: (laughs) just on a loop it's still gonna be two hours but it's just that scene over and over
0: yeah yeah so yeah i don't i don't want to be too disparaging about it because it's one like i said it's a time and place thing but i I think this is one that uh check it out as a curiosity as opposed to something that you expect will change your life um if i was going to watch one of them again i would probably watch this over fire in the sky but with that said, the those last 10 minutes of fire in the sky are pff, ooh, they're pretty good. Right. hard know, to beat. So <laughs> really good. <laughs> uh, all right, so I guess uh for now that's uh Tom out. Blake out.
2: <laughs> Jess out. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, you can cut me <laughs> saying that. No, no, no. Josh, are you out, or are you... Yeah, Josh out.
2: <laughs> Josh is so
0: out, he wasn't even here to say out.
2: I see his hand. He's yeah. right there.
3: Oh, okay. You just can't see him. I had to, I had to plug
1: in I my love, computer I love on the he's floor. he's in total
0: darkness. He, he claims that the book hasn't influenced him, but there he's sitting in the dark <laughs> on his own, like, you know... The- <laughs>